to each and every one of you here, and even those not here, I know that you pray for us. Uh, many of you who've either visited us or spoken to me at various times have reminded me uh, how you remember us in your prayer meeting, and that is greatly appreciated and very felt, I must say. We have had a good year, very interesting year, full of uh, you know, new things, uh, things that are not so new, but just in a new uh, skin, as it were, a new place. Same problems, different place. Same sinners, uh, just a different place that they're found. But I just want to start tonight uh, by just saying how much we appreciate you and, again, how much you pray for us and how much that means to our congregation. We do remember you in prayer as well. And I want to bring greetings from the people there. We remember you in a, in a cyclical way. We bring a, I bring a man, a minister, and a man under care and a missionary before the people each week. And we do remember you regularly in that way. And we just want to encourage you in the ministry as you encourage us in all the ways that you serve here. Someone asked me uh, the other night what I was <clears throat> going to say when I gave this report, and this is in jest, but the words of Job 7.3 uh, came to my mind where he basically says that he's spent months in vanity <clears throat> and wearisome nights are appointed for me. <laughs> and so that's a joke, but there is a sense in which that's sometimes how it feels, you know, throughout the year, uh, getting used to being a pastor. I'm obviously cutting my teeth in so many ways, and there's so much to learn about how to minister the word week by week to the Lord's people, how to visit them in their afflictions, and all the various aspects of ministry that, like I say, I am cutting my teeth on. I'm thankful for a gracious congregation that is willing to allow me to learn, and they are very uh, helpful in that way and very kind to our family and to this young pastor who's seeking to help them and their uh, various issues that they've been facing. But I will begin just by talking a little bit about the congregation uh, and just giving you an update as far as those things. As many of you know, we do have an aging congregation, uh, a small congregation, but a very faithful one. And I am very grateful for each and every one of them there. And I can't really express how much they've encouraged us in the Lord's work over the past year, uh, even just in their faithful attendance to the meetings. Uh, many, some of them at least, are in their 80s, and they still make it out to the meetings. They still uphold us in the place of prayer, I know publicly and privately. And even in the midst of all their physical infirmities and sicknesses that have come upon them in recent days, they are still warm affectionate and persevering. Uh, they are very instructive to me as someone who's watching them go through these things that I have not gone through and it is instructing me of how to go through them with the Lord's help and guidance. The congregation is very united. I'm very thankful to Christ and to the Father, to the Spirit for uniting His people. They are very warm towards us. It's a very family-like place. At least that's the way we've felt since we've been there. And I'm thankful for our brother Chris Barnes. He was there preaching, filling in for me on the Lord's Day. 
and I think he could testify to that as well. But they're very supportive, very helpful, and as I say, just united around the Lord. And that's no small thing. Uh, people are, it's hard to unite people in many ways. There are so many things that Satan will do, as most of you, many of you at least, would know how he will seek to divide the Lord's people. And in, with a new pastor coming, new family coming, and all the various things that are happening in our world, especially in a place like Orlando, it might be easy in some ways for Satan to cause division, and yet the Lord has protected us in this first year, and I trust will do so in the future. But we are aware that uh, with the congregation aging and small, that we are, in deeply, we are deeply in need of the Lord to reestablish the congregation. And so if I would just make one prayer request at this point from you, that you would continue to pray that the Lord will reestablish the work. We just have a few people, and you look around and you, you realize how fragile the work really is. Any work is fragile in one sense. I mean, the Lord um, at any time uh, could take people home. We know that, but with this particular circumstance, it's just all the more evident from a human perspective how fragile it is. And so we need the Lord to raise up young families to establish the work. And so that's what I'd say to you about the congregation, to be thankful for it, thankful for the faithfulness and these people being there for so long without a pastor. They were there for five years, as many of you know, without a minister. And that was a great difficulty for them. But they have adjusted well, and as I say, are gracious to me as I'm adjusting. But I would just mention next, as far as update and prayer, one of the things that's been interesting for us is to be introduced to a different culture. You know, it is, it is the way I describe it when people ask when we're traveling. They say, you know, will you be going, you know, back to when you go back home? You know, you'll be going south. I say, yeah, well, we'll be going south geographically, but we'll be going north culturally. <laughs> and it is. It's, it's like that. It's one of the only places you're going south geographically, you're going north, and I guess northwest culturally, because now we have people coming from the West Coast as well, and I don't think it's necessarily that people are any more sinful in those areas, but they do bring a certain worldview and a certain, a certain carelessness about Christ, indifference to religion and the Bible, carelessness about authority. All of that comes where we are. It's really a, a melting pot, and that's been an adjustment for us. Uh, adjusting to people who will just tell you right up front that they're not Christians and they don't care anything about God. They think it's foolish to believe in God. You have that here as well, but at least in my experience, you run into a lot more people here who are, they feel some cultural pressure to just say they're a Christian, and though they have no valid profession. But there, they just are very upfront about it. And so we have found it very difficult to find uh, fellow believers very few that we've just run into. Um, Reverend Massey and I had to jumpstart our car today, and right then and there in the parking lot, a believer came up and, and offered his help, and we got to talk to him. And that just hasn't happened to us <laughs> in Orlando. Um, but I guess one way to summarize 
Orlando. For those of you who don't know, I just recently learned this. It's very grieving. It's very sad. Orlando, uh, the city, they have had their own Pride Month uh, for many years before there was ever a National Pride Month. So they have their own distinct Pride Month in the month of October. And they have really pioneered the way for the LBG, LGBTQ, the alphabet people. They have really pioneered so many different areas for them to promote their wickedness. And when we found that out, it just was another example to me of how dark it is in Orlando. And the mayor is just a very wicked man. His name's Buddy Dyer, if you care to pray for him, that the Lord will save him and change him in his, the way he does things or will remove him from office if he will not save him. He's been in there for a long time, and while he's been in, he's done a lot of damage to the city. And so that's one of the ways that I've begun to summarize Orlando. They have their own Pride Month if that tells you enough about the way things are. You can tell a lot when you just go out and about in town and you just see, as some preachers have pointed out, as other places in our culture, you see depravity on parade. It is just displayed openly, without a care. And you're starting to see more of that here as well, I know. But it's been eye-opening for us. And we do cast ourselves upon the Lord for His mercy in that place and I trust you will pray that the Lord will awaken people we have been going through the epistle to the Ephesians in our morning worship and it's been very appropriate uh, in many ways the reason I say that is because the more I've studied that book and even the context of Acts and what you find there regarding those people you find that they are in one of the most wicked places of their day it was a place full of darkness, full of paganism, idolatry is everywhere, perversions of all manner, and yet Paul is able to say, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And that's the same for every sinner, but you just see it. You see, what must Paul have thought when he saw these sinners in Ephesus given over to their idolatry, and yet he preached he prayed, and God was pleased to save his people. And so that's what we're praying for. That's the culture. It's anti-Christian. It's pluralistic. It's just very outwardly so. That's been an adjustment for us as we've gotten to know the place. I will say it's taken time for us to adjust as far as feeling at home. You know, it's, it's difficult, and I, many have said it takes about a year for you to adjust to a new place. And I would say that's true for us. We've just recently begun to feel normal, and like you're not on some extended vacation in, in, in this place that's so strange. And, but there have been a lot of challenges in those ways, but there have been a lot of encouragements as well. And we just want to acknowledge those to you and that you can pray in light of these. As we think about the encouragements of the year, uh, we have had many visitors come in. Uh, of course, they're usually from out of town. <laughs> and I have said to me, you know, if all these people would just move here and stay, then 
we would we would be quite established here, reestablished. But you know, there's another big uh, attraction for people in in Orlando, uh, Disney, the beaches, whatever, and they come for vacation, and uh, a lot of times they happen to stop by, and we're thankful for that, and it's been encouraging, and you notice a. a sort of an uplift in the congregation uh, after there's a couple weeks, no visitors or something like that, all of a sudden some friends from Northern Ireland pop in and I was telling Reverend Tomassian there were some Sundays where there were more Northern Irish, Northern Ireland, uh, visitors from Northern Ireland in our congregation than there were members. <laughs> we were surrounded and we were outnumbered, but it was good. It, it, was, it was wonderful to see them. and. We've been encouraged that the Lord has brought in people that have been invited. Now, that's been an encouragement. Uh, there's a couple in our church. They uh, work at a farmer's market every Saturday. They're very diligent in inviting people to the church. And people have come several times and have encouraged us just to see people come in, just to see them come in. They hear the gospel, of course, and most of those have not returned. But we just pray that the Lord will um, give the increase in those hearts, in those lives. We've had people come in, of course, from Sermon Audio, so just pray that the Lord will continue to use that as that broadcasts out. People come in, and we say, well, how did you hear about the church? You know, this man from Holland came in. These people from Ontario came in. They're on vacation or business. How did you hear about us? Well, Sermon Audio. And so we just say thank you to our brother, Stephen Lee, for the Lord stirring his heart for that ministry. And it's just amazing to see how people find out about it so often through that medium. But one of the biggest encouragements uh, has been this Moms and Tots ministry. So that has been a recent uh, a new ministry for us. Uh, they do this sort of thing in Northern Ireland. Um, it's a little different in the format, but they do basically the same thing. And we started this about uh, five or six weeks ago. And it was uh, taking a while to get it squared away as far as how we wanted to do it and the planning and everything. But the reason it's been such an encouragement, as you've probably noted in the prayer bulletin, if you've read that or seen that, I think I put in there last month this new encouragement. We were there for about four weeks. We have not been by ourselves once. So there's not been this great crowd coming in to this Moms and Tots program that we put on, but we have always had at least one mother and one or more children uh, along with that mother besides Obadiah and Amelia. And that has greatly encouraged us that from the very beginning, the Lord has brought people into that. In the fourth week, we had, or the third week, I'm sorry, <clears throat> we had a lady come in and her son who was just ecstatic. She was just uh, excited about the ministry. She said, I'm going to be here every week. She drives 40 minutes to get there and just goes out of her way. She's been there every single time since we started it. She was raised Roman Catholic. As far as I can tell, she does not know Christ. She's not saved. She and <clears throat> uh, the man um, she, is, she lives with, is the father of her child, they uh, both were basically raised Roman Catholic and yet have seen issues with that, seen issues with the Roman Catholic Church and Catholicism, they've seen the problems, they see problems with these other groups that they don't want to be a part of, <clears throat> but they want faith to be a part of their son's life, and so they're coming, 
uh, somewhat consistently to our church. And we're just, Amelia uh, and I just stand back amazed because it's a small congregation. There are no other children. There's no special activities or anything that would attract them. And yet, for whatever reason, the Lord has stirred their hearts to drive 40 minutes out of their way and come to our little church. And I can't express how encouraging that has been for our little congregation. For Amelia and I, especially as we've just started this ministry, and for the people to see us start this ministry and the Lord use it to bring these people in. So that they've come uh, at least a couple Sundays now, and Lord willing, more when we return. But just pray. I won't give their names because we're online, but... Just pray for this couple and their son that the Lord will work salvation, that he will save this household. I mean, this is a young family that the Lord could add very easily to our number. And that's not the point. It's not the point just to have them added to our number. These are people that we want to see giving God praise want to see the Lord's name made great in their lives, to see them highly esteeming the God of glory, and that you would join with us in that prayer, that the Lord will save them and use them. They're a young couple, I believe she is 22, he's 24, just starting out in life, but they're strangers to Christ. Just please pray for them. The Lord will save them. In addition to that, as far as encouragements, we just have noticed an increasing uh, closeness in the congregation. We meet uh, once a month for a fellowship time in our home. Uh, each month we do that with the people. And though there are some who get tired during that and maybe have to take a nap, <laughs> we still enjoy the fellowship and even that uh, aspect has always uh, warmed our hearts and we just we love the people and I trust they love us if not they they're so sweet they wouldn't say that so but just thank you for praying for us that's as far as I, I thought of things that could be updated and things there I could probably say more but the biggest thing in light of all of that is just to pray for the increase you know some some sow, others water, but the Lord gives the increase. And that's really what we need to see. We live in a society where so many are indifferent. They're so, they seem so cold and so hardened. And yet, such were some of us. Just like them. Lost and undone in our sin. Caring nothing for Christ. And yet the Lord saved us. And so may he do it to them. And the text I want to leave with you before we come to pray then is Malachi 1 and verse 11. This is, <clears throat> there have been two texts that the Lord has really encouraged me with over these, this past year. One is found in Isaiah 54 and that opening passage. But the other is Malachi 1.11 where I've asked you to turn tonight. <clears throat> and for the sake of time, I'm not going to 
preach a full message on this text. There's a lot here to bring out. But I do want to read from verse 6 with you into verse 11 and make some comments here before we come to the place of prayer. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. Let us hear the word of God. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now, I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. The reason I bring you to that text is because of how encouraging it has been to me over the past year. One of the things that I find myself needing to pray more and more often is, Lord, deliver me from low expectations. Lord, deliver me from low expectations. This text gives us a promise. It tells us that God is going to make His name great from the rising of the sun even to the going down of the same, that is, from east to west. In every place, He is going to make His name great among the Gentiles. That points us to expecting God to make His name great. Expecting that He is going to make His name great, esteemed highly, that is, when it says great, that is, his name will be held in high esteem all across the world, in every place, among the Gentiles. And so I pray, Lord, deliver me from low expectations. Give me help to believe this truth in relation to our work in Orlando. Just a couple things here. I mean, obviously this text, <clears throat> there's an aspect in which it is fulfilled at Pentecost. We do see the Lord pour out His Spirit. Uh, we see Him then calling the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Uh, the Lord giving unto the Gentiles repentance unto life. We see Him beginning to make His name great uh, beyond that of national Israel onto the Gentiles and the uttermost parts of the earth. And yet we ought not to leave that in the past. 
This is a promise for today. This is a promise that is still to be fulfilled in its greatest sense, in its entirety today and in coming days. This has encouraged me because as you see this text in verse 11, you see that God is zealous for the greatness of His name. God is zealous for the greatness of His name. In this past year, I have found myself sometimes feeling like I'm on my own. Like you just go through each week and you're, you're trying to do whatever it is you need to do, whether it's preaching or visitation or witnessing of some sort. And you can start to sort of feel, in a sense, like you're just on your own. And yet this text tells us something of God's zeal for the greatness of His name. You note in the text how he, frequent, how he refers to his name. Three times he says his name is going to be great. Twice my name shall be great. Once the incense shall be offered unto my name. It's something of God's zeal for his name. That, that all across the globe, in light of an apostate Israel, which of course is the context as we've read, that he would then make his name great among those who know nothing of him. Those who are steeped in pagan religion, full of all manner of wickedness, the Gentiles. All that is contained in this verse, you think about all the places represented. God is zealous to make his name great. In all those places, in Orlando, in Greenville, in all the places where his name is not held in high esteem, he is zealous for the greatness of his name. Not because he needs man, not because he needs our praise, not because he needs his creature's approval, but because it delights him. It is pleasing to him. To make his name highly esteemed among the heathen, among the Gentiles. It has encouraged me to remember that God is more zealous for the greatness of his name than I am. That though I feel like I'm sort of plowing concrete. Like you're by yourself in the week, in the work or whatever you're doing. That God's more zealous for the greatness of his name than I am. That he's not left me alone. That he's not left any of us. Whatever work you're involved in, ministry or whatever it is you may do here, it is important to remember as a foundation that in any ministry, whatever you're involved in, God is zealous for the greatness of his name more than we could ever be. You think about Text in relation to this, like what our Lord Jesus says to the woman at the well. The Father seeketh such to worship him. That is in spirit and in truth. The Father seeketh such to worship him. That's a profound statement. That God the Father is actually going after sinners 
to make his name great to them, that they would would offer pure worship to him. You think of what is said in this regard, God making his name great among the Gentiles, and even how this relates, obviously, to the gospel, and how the Lord is going to bring in all manner of kindred, tongue, and nation through Christ into his kingdom in order to offer pure worship the sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving made acceptable to God through Christ, how he is going to do that through the gospel and how it is said of our Lord Jesus that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know, some of us will not step across the street to witness to sinners. And yet the Son of God stepped into time to save sinners. God is zealous for the greatness of His name. And that's really beyond our comprehension. How zealous He is. How eager He is for sinners to highly esteem His name. And the core motivation for all ministry should be the greatness of the Lord's name. There's So many times where, by God's grace, he has brought that back to my memory. And you're sort of just, you find yourself beginning to go through the motions. You you catch yourself starting to to feel like you just got to get through the week. Or you've just got to get through whatever the next thing is you need to do. And in, in a sense, it starts to feel like you're just trying to preserve your own name. Your, your reputation as the minister, this is what I need to do, this is what I'm supposed to do. But the foundation has to be right. This is about God's name. This is about the greatness of His name in His people and in the lost. This has to be my core motivation And in that sense, I am simply imitating God. I am being zealous for the greatness of his name. And that's what I need. And that's what I have to pray. That's what you have to pray for. That the Lord will keep us. Whatever comes our way in the ministry or in your life, because all of our life is meant to be given over to the Lord in service. Whatever the Lord brings our way, we have to keep ourselves grounded in the fact that whatever I am doing on any given day at the core of it, at the root of it, has to be the greatness of God's name. But you see, sometimes that's often not the case with us. We live in a day where we're surrounded by wickedness. In Orlando, we're surrounded by wickedness. And sometimes I wonder, what is it that grieves me about the sin in our society. Is it grieving me because of how inconvenient it is for me to have to deal with it? Or is it grieving me because it is an affront to God? Why does it grieve you? Because it's an inconvenient to deal with? I don't want to be around this? Or does it grieve you first and foremost because it is an affront to a holy God? There's a big difference in those. 
There's a big difference in how it'll make you pray. How it'll make you grieve with a godly sorrow over sin when you recognize I'm last on the list in terms of this being an inconvenience to me. What should grieve us most about places like Orlando or these places where sin is just running rampant is that God is being affronted. That His law is being cast aside as nothing. And He is worthy of infinitely more. God is zealous for the greatness of His name. But also God will make His name great everywhere. That's obvious from the text. God will make His name great everywhere. There's no limit on the geography of this promise. It's from east to west. It's from every place the sun rises upon to every place where the sun sets. In every place incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering. I'd argue that incense is referring there, at least to some degree, to prayer. We see that in Revelation 5, 8 and various other places, not to get into all of that. But it's the sense of in every place incense shall be offered unto my name. That is obviously from the Gentiles, these ones who the Lord will convert to Christ, who will now esteem God's name highly. They will be offering incense, prayers unto him, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. God will make his name great everywhere. The darkness of the place does not alter the brightness of God's promise. The darkness of Orlando, the darkness of Greenville, the darkness of whatever place it may be, it is not altered. It does not alter the brightness of God's promise. He says in every place, from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great. It will be highly esteemed. Now you think of Paul there going into a place like Ephesus or going into a place like Corinth. Just just completely gone. I mean, you and I, we walk into these places like Corinth or Ephesus, we're immediately thinking this place is just given over. It's too far gone. That's the way it looks. In some ways, that's the way Orlando looks. And what would, what would Paul encourage himself with? What, what would ground him as he, as he goes and he preaches? Because he was in those places for a couple years. A peace. And we know he was somewhat discouraged in Corinth. And the Lord has to tell him that he has much people in this city. Well, what would have, what have kept motivating Paul? At least possibly. Could it have been that he remembered from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered unto my name. So that he would then preach again and preach again and pray and pray and pray until the Lord did save people. Until he brought them out of darkness and into light. This is not only the darkness of the place that doesn't alter the promise, 
the plots of the wicked don't alter the plans of God either. And so you find Paul in, in conflict with Demetrius the silversmith and the false goddess Diana. And what are they doing? Making a plot to try and do away with this preaching of the gospel to get rid of this one who's causing this trouble. And yet what happens? We're told in Acts 19.20 the word of God grew and prevailed. So that God's plan to make his name great in that wicked place was not frustrated by any plots of the wicked. What we need to remember in a more specific way here, when God says he's going to make his name great among the Gentiles, we ought not to think of that as just a general thing. That promise includes individual people. It includes God's elect in these places. So that the wickedness of the sinner does not put them outside of the scope of this promise. You think of the people in Ephesus. You think of the people, even Paul himself, and how he would have been viewed by, by the people of God, by the church before his conversion. Never going to happen. He's too far gone. He hates Christ. He hates the gospel. He's persecuting the church. You're looking at those in Ephesus. They're given over to every type of wickedness. They're never going to get it. They're never going to believe. But what does God do? He saves them. So that their wickedness does not put them outside of the scope of the promise. And I think we need to remember that today. Because more and more, we're going to be surrounded by people who look too far gone. And yet God tells us, after he gives us that list of those heinous sins... In 1 Corinthians 9 and 10, he says in verse 11, And such were some of you. Such were some of you. Not one square inch of this world is off limits to the crown rights of King Jesus. And that's what we're pointed to here. We're pointed to Christ. He's the one who's going to bring all the nations together he is going to gather the elect from all over the globe and in every place there will be a remnant according to grace representing the people of God chosen by free grace unmerited favor of the father the word offered is often translated Draw near in other places, other verses. So in one sense you have in every place incense shall be offered. There's this idea of, of these Gentiles drawing near. Do you know that Gentiles are considered unclean? Gentiles considered the filth of the earth by the Jew. And so what we're pointed to here is the Lord taking the most unclean, 
cleansing them through the blood of Christ so that they can draw near. You who once were afar off have been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13 That's what we're being pointed to in this verse. But as I said, it's not just for then in the New Testament age. It's now. It's not just in the days of the Acts. It's not just when Paul was writing to the Ephesians. It's for us. To come tonight with someone on your heart who you may feel is just gone. Maybe you've prayed for them a hundred times. Maybe you've prayed for them every day for years. But you should pray for them tonight that the Lord will make His name great in their life. It's not just, Lord, spare them from going to hell, though we desire that. It's not just, Lord, save them because I love them and I don't want them to be given over to sin anymore. It's, Lord, save them so that your name will be highly esteemed by that person. That you will get more glory. It's not about whatever other reasons we might find. That's really at the very basic level, that is it. That God would be given more glory, ascribed glory from these creatures. And God will use His people to make His name great. That has to be implied, though God is free to work beyond and above means, without means. He doesn't have to use any of us. But that's the question you're left with when you read this. His name's going to be made great among the Gentiles in every place. The incense being offered and a pure offering for His name. For his name shall be great among the heathen. Well, how is that going to happen? Well, at least in one way, a primary way, is God uses his people to make his name great. That's what he does. He, he, takes, he takes the Gentiles who cared nothing for his name, like you and me. He takes those who cast his name in the dust and care nothing for Christ. He takes them. He saves them through those who came before, such as those who walked with the Lord Jesus, Peter and John, all the apostles, they go forth and preach. They see converts, and then those converts see converts. So that the Lord uses His people to make His name great. The reason, Part of the reason I say that, and why I think we shouldn't miss that as we go to prayer tonight, is our Lord Jesus makes us a part of the pattern of prayer that He gives us. The first petition in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. Why is that a part of the Lord's Prayer? So that you and I would give a promise like this a chief place in our praying. When you pray, hallowed be thy name, you recognize that in all places in the earth, God's name is not hallowed, revered, 
respected, highly esteemed, like our text is saying. And so you are praying for the Lord to do that which He has said. You are taking this promise and pleading it before God. Lord, make your name great from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same. And consecrate lives to yourself. A people that can then be told by the Apostle Paul, Brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God, present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Because what's the pure offering referred to in verse 11? Is it saying he's going to bring Gentiles to start offering the sacrifices of the Old Testament? Well, obviously not. We know that's not the case. But they're going to offer themselves as living sacrifices. And that's what you and I are called to do. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're praying that not only for ourselves but for others. We're praying that the Lord will do it in the earth. And I trust tonight... You will pray it for some individual that you know is outside of Christ. And you will pray that the Lord will make his name great in them, to them. If we savor God's name, then we should speak forth God's gospel. Like the apostle said in Acts 4 verse 20, we cannot but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. And if you truly savor God's name, then that's going to be your chief desire, to make it great. And you do that by preaching the gospel. You do that by sharing the person and work of Christ. That's what the greatness is found in. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That, that is the, the point that comes home to sinners. That's where all the greatness is to be found in the person and work of Christ as the only one able to save sinners. And a right esteem for God's name leads to full consecration to God's service. When the name of God is made great to a sinner, when they see his name for what it is, and they can say, like the bride in Song of Solomon, his name is his ointment poured forth. It is precious. It is valuable. When it is rightly esteemed, you give yourself a living sacrifice. I don't know what the Lord may have for each of us here tonight. Maybe... Maybe you're here and the Lord has someone on your heart to pray that he will save their soul tonight and make his name great to them. Or perhaps he would have you to be one who would go forth and proclaim his name to the nations. You know, we live in a time where not only in our own denomination, but across the board there is a shortage of people to preach the gospel. Shortage of men to proclaim Christ crucified. I hadn't planned to, to make that a part of this point. 
But maybe there's some young man here and you need to hear God's call to consecrate your life to preaching Christ crucified. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But this is why I brought you to this text. Because as I have often been praying, Lord, deliver me from low expectations. There is a great expectation in that text. That God will make his name great. Where we are, where you are, and all over the world. Trust the Lord will bless this word to you and help us to pray.